Almost six years ago, Broderick Greer hosted the first conversation that started Mile High Theology. I've had the privilege of being a part of this podcast since its second season, first as a photographer, then as the audio engineer, and most recently as a glorified fan. (laughs) We've covered so much on Mile High Theology, and not just about our faith beliefs. We talked about the Black Lives Matter movement and racial justice, art in many different mediums, most especially poetry, the climate crisis, spirituality and food, queerness, addiction and recovery, and the power of music, to name a few. We've had local celebrities on, like Vic Vela, Representative Leslie Harrod, and Bobby Lefebvre, and guests who are more widely known, like the Secret Sisters, Andrea Gibson, and Julian Baker. Truly every season offered an incredible lineup and the conversations never disappointed. My name is Evans Owsley, and I'm the Director of Communications at St. John's Cathedral in Denver, and I'm delighted to be in conversation with Broderick as we look back on this journey, reflect on some of our favorite conversations, and close this chapter. Broderick, thank you for giving me this opportunity. Oh my goodness, Evans. It's amazing to hear (laughs) your voice, number one, but also to hear everything that we've done together. I mean, what a an amazing five and a half years of programming. I agree. I know thinking about this conversation, because we we needed to close this chapter um, and look back. It was amazing. I looked back through our Spotify and just all of the conversations, truly huge range of topics, um, but every single one of them is worth listening to. So thank you for all of that. And thank you for all of your work and making it happen from very early on. Of course. I was honored. Um, okay, so a famous line of yours throughout the season, or throughout the seasons, I should say, um, is we'll just have to have you back. So <laughs> I know this is a hard question, but if you could invite anyone back to the podcast and continue a conversation, who would who would that be? Without a doubt. I mean, all of our all of our guests were superb, but it would definitely be Kali Fajardo-Anstein. Well, it would be fun, actually, to talk about her second book, Woman of Light, which is highly acclaimed in the literary community. It was so fun. I, I, was, I became a fan of hers through Sabrina and Karina, her first book right. of short stories. And those, those stories are just so moving they're so human, they're so creative, they're so linked to Denver yeah. and Southern Colorado and Northern New Mexico. And I think that I read her book in 2018, so maybe a year or two after I moved here. And it was, to me, such a great introduction to this region that I was very unfamiliar with. So it would be great to hear kind of where she is with the second book, how her tour has gone, and what she's working on now. Yeah. I mean, you you really got to talk to her. I mean, people knew Sabrina and Karina, but her next book really was kind of a bestseller yeah. and was much more widely known. Um, but I didn't read Sabrina and Karina until after that conversation, and her her episode is fantastic, and it, it made me want to go buy her book. And it really is such a great – for someone who moved here – so, so so good to be reminded of like what this area was originally, who really lived here, um, and how it's changed so much. 
Um, so and and her family's story, at least one segment of her family, is such a such an American story of borders crossing people instead of people crossing borders. Right. And as a you know, what am I, fifth or sixth generation Texan? There's so many stories like that in Texas as well. Yeah. I mean, the whole Southwest is really um, testament to, you know, oh, we're Mexico and now we're the United States and we were Spain before and we were indigenous before that. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. it's really fascinating to hear those stories and to know this is these are not extinct families. These are not extinct right. stories. These are people... I cross in the grocery store and who I live next door to, um, you know, which is such a powerful, what, you know, what a powerful lineage and what powerful creativity she brings to her lineage. Yeah. Yeah. Truly worth a read and a listen. Yes. All right. So what's something that you learned from a guest on the podcast that you've taken with you? I would have to say it, it was... And I'm I'm blanking on the the guest's name, but it was our guest who runs the urban farm. Sally Herbert. Sally Herbert. So Sally Herbert, who runs the urban farm on the second floor of Uchi Denver. Yeah, Altius Farms, I think. Alt- yes, yeah. Altius Farms. You're much better at this than I am. To think about sustainability, you know, usually I think of sustainability in a very narrow sense that you know, waste, produce, all of these things should be in some way recyclable, reusable, gentle on the earth, fill in the blank. Sally takes it a step further and employs veterans. Mm -hmm. So sustainability has to be more, I, I think what she taught me is sustainability has to be more than just the function of food getting to my table and digesting that food. It also needs to provide employment Mm -hmm. and dignity to the people who are growing it. Mm -hmm. And her expansion of, of what sustainability can be for my imagination is invaluable. Wow. Yeah. She, I mean, she's incredible. And that whole season about the climate crisis was just, you would think almost that how can you have like eight or nine episodes about this, but every single person brought something different to the table. And that's what I think was so interesting about that season. It really gave, you know, the listener some inspiration that it doesn't, it's not just one way. You don't just need to make sure that you're composting and recycling, but you're also, you know, supporting these local farms or you're looking into how, um, you know, different zip codes in Denver are Mm -hmm. more polluted and what the demographics of that neighborhood is. I mean, it was a very interesting season, but, um, yeah, what Sally is doing is, is amazing. Um, it is. And, and it's as a, as a Christian person, as a baptized person, and then additionally as a ordained person, we get, I get these images in our prayers and in our liturgy and in kind of our Anglican patrimony that go back to this idea that 
in Christ's death and resurrection, we are inheriting a creation made new. Mm. And hearing about musicians, farmers, activists, and others in that season who are, in my humble opinion, making creation new is was such a gift mm-hmm. because they are in some way forcing the hand of our earth and of collective action in saying we don't have time. Yeah. There's no time to spare. Yeah. The crisis is here and we have to act accordingly. And taken together, that is so hopeful. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes that hopeful note is missing from dialogue around the crisis that we're facing. I agree. I agree. Yeah, that was very well put and well planned. So thank you. Oh, it was a joy. I learned so much. Okay, so you always did such a good job of finding such interesting guests. And I wonder if time and space and money were not a limit, who would you have loved to somehow magically get as a guest on My High Theology? This is very easy. The person I wanted most, and if she's listening, which I doubt she is, um, we would have her back for we do something special for her. And it's Barbara Holmes. And Barbara Holmes is a former seminary president. Um, there is a lecture series in Memphis where I used to live named after her at Memphis wow. Theological Seminary. And Barbara is a black woman who is a scholar, academic, preacher, administrator, and A lot of her work now is through the Center for Action and Contemplation in Albuquerque, New Mexico with Richard Rohr, who a lot of people who might be listening are probably familiar with, the great elderly Franciscan priest and mystic. Barbara wrote a book called Joy Unspeakable, Contemplative Practices in the Black Church. And in that book... Barbara demystifies this idea that contemplative practice within Christianity belongs solely to white people Mm. and says, essentially, the black church is contemplative. It's just not a Eurocentric Mm. idea of contemplation. It's not um, retreat centers and days of silence. Mm -hmm. It is through music, through dance, through preaching. She even added a book in her, added a chapter in her second edition that talks about the contemplative presidency of Barack Obama. Wow. As a kind of adult child of the black church and brings in these these vignettes of him singing Amazing Grace at the funeral of the Charleston Nine, who were martyred right. in 2015, and a few other ways that he brought contemplation into his presidency, which is just a fascinating wow. thing. And the contemplative dimension of the Black Lives Matter movement. So, as you can tell, <laughs> I would have a lot of energy around Barbara Holmes being with us. And she was invited. I have invited her <laughs> to be on my life theology. Uh. 
And for whatever reason, she was not able to accept an invitation. But her, her scholarly interests, her expertise is, to some extent, a, I think, a little before its time. Mm-hmm. I think that there are people within contemplative circles who are not ready to hear what she's saying about right. contemplation. They, they may have a somewhat um, narrow idea of what contemplation is within mm-hmm. Christianity. And I think that there are those who are on the more active side of Christianity and kind of what we would call prophetic or activist versions of Christianity mm-hmm. who are not ready to hear her. But Barbara Holmes is what I would consider a prophetic voice, someone who's so in touch with the present that she sounds like she's predicting the future. Wow. And it's it's amazing that she... I mean, she actually also has a podcast through the Center for Action and Contemplation. Wow. And just listening to those 50-minute conversations are like engaging in prayer. So I'm very happy, even though she's not, you know, she never joined (laughs) us on My High Theology, that she's doing her own audio work. Right. So that it can continue to be a gift, you know, for the future. Amazing. Well, if you're listening and you happen to know Barbara Holmes, please, please, we would love to do an actual last episode with her. That sounds amazing. All right, so I know this is difficult, but what are some of your favorite conversations that you found yourself thinking about again months or even years later? Definitely Bobby Lefebvre's from 2020. He is a singular poetic voice in Colorado and in our country and has an urgency Mm-hmm. about his work and a, and a deep level of self-awareness that is just a gift. I really enjoyed our conversation with Shay Watts back in 2019, mm-hmm. I think, where we talked about the role of the body in ritual. Right. I really appreciated our conversation. I think this was in 2021 with Natasha Lodicon, yeah, who's a poet. I loved all of our poetry. They episodes. were fantastic. They were, I mean, just amazing. More recently, I really, really appreciated the conversation, and her name escapes me, with... Um, the rep from Earth Guardians. Oh, yes. Uh, Layla Puyer? Yes, Layla Puyer. And from Earth Guardians, her ideas around advocacy, just hearing about what younger people are doing around the climate crisis in Denver and across the world was was mind-blowing and earth-shattering. I agree. And, and gives me so much hope, not for the future, but for our present. Yeah. Um, 
knowing that there are a lot of people who are conscious about what we're facing. So I could go on and on, but those were ones that really stand out to me as important, urgent voices. Amazing. One of my favorite episodes mm-hmm. that we did was the episode with Andrea Gibson and Julian Baker. Oh, yeah. Mainly because our live audience was incredible. I mean, both of them are fantastic and gave great performances, and the conversation was amazing. But for those who weren't there, we had like 300 people gathered in the cathedral, and almost every single one of them was like not from our congregation. And so there was a a large turnout from the queer community. And as I, I was walking around to help with setup, I overheard someone say that they hadn't been in a church in many years. Mm. And like you, that just wasn't you know where they had expected themselves mm. to be. And I think at its core, Mile High Theology invited people into a different in a, into a deeper conversation about meaning and belonging. It's not an Episcopal podcast. It's not even necessarily a Christian one. Um, but each conversation invited and asked the listener to pause and consider how they interacted with the world. And that that's, I think, what I'm going to miss. But we have so many conversations that I can keep listening to yeah. and learn more from. Um, so thank you. I, I agree. that That is something I will miss most is that blurred line between what we would call the church and the world. Mm-hmm. Wendell Berry, I'm paraphrasing something that he said, the great Kentucky agrarian and writer, he has said that there, there's no such thing as sacred and profane. There are only desecrated things. Mm. And which implies that there, our world is inherently sacred. Mm-hmm. And for baptized people, that, that's just an assumption we make, that right. God is the creator of all. And to have those moments, whether it was the Bobby conversation, the Julian and Andrea conversation, or more recently, the Secret Sisters conversation Mm -hmm. in concert, to see that line between St. John's and our surrounding community be blurred is when my heart dances most Mm -hmm. in my work as a priest Mm -hmm. because... The church should never be too self-important to think that people who are not church people don't have something to offer or teach us. Right. And it makes us more humble. And vice versa, the church is at its best when it's a servant to the world and not dominating the world. Yeah. And so... I love those moments when we've when the the line between host and guest is blurred, which to me I think is what Jesus did mm-hmm. all the time yeah. in, in his public work and ministry. Amazing. Amazing. Well, to close, how can our listeners keep up with you or follow your work? More selfishly, what I'm asking is what's next for your creative outlet? Because I I can't wait. <laughs> I have no idea. And I say this kind of on the verge of going on sabbatical for mm-hmm. three months, where I feel will be a time where my heart will be open, more so than when I'm working every day. Right. 
you know, which is just such a huge privilege. I mean, I wish everyone could have an opportunity like this. I know that, you know, obviously my parents and grandparents who were a mix of blue collar and Mm -hmm. somewhat white collar jobs didn't have that kind of opportunity. So I don't take it lightly, but to just have the time to listen, to meet new people, to have new experiences and see what emerges. I feel to some extent like I've been in somewhat of a creative rut Mm -hmm. and have been relying on old tropes and old formulas. And hopefully when I'm back in October, there will be some vision of what, of where, where we're going next. Amazing. And I don't currently have that, but I am confident I will when I'm back. I am too. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> I had one thing. Uh-huh. I I just I'm just filled with gratitude. I mean, it's amazing to have worked with Evans and Enrique and so many other people. And this this has been God's work from the beginning. You know, I can take credit as whatever, but it was God who gave us the vision to do this. Mm -hmm. It was God, and and someone told me this in college, and I'll never forget it. If God gives you the vision to do something, God will also provide the ability Mm -hmm. to accomplish it. Mm -hmm. And so God has been involved every step of the way. And I always finished our, you know, episodes with kind of formal gratitude to God for things, but this is heartfelt gratitude Mm -hmm. because, yeah, we've not been explicitly Episcopal, even though we are, we've not been explicitly Christian, even though we are, but explicit to me in every conversation is that God's reconciling love in Jesus Christ is taking place across our world in unexpected and surprising Mm -hmm. ways Mm -hmm. for which I am deeply, deeply grateful to have been a front row witness. So amazing. Gratitude, gratitude, gratitude. Thank you. Mile High Theology is a production of St. John's Cathedral, an Episcopal church in Denver, Colorado. I offer special thanks to this episode's guest and the pod's longtime host, Broderick Greer, our audio engineer, Enrique Centron, and the many others who have helped sustain this podcast since its inception. Seth Reese, Christina Rutland, Georgie Brooks Myrtle, Sarah Strand, and Redline Contemporary Art Center. This podcast was recorded on the land of Ute, Cheyenne, and Arapaho peoples, We give God great thanks for the 48 contemporary tribes that are historically tied to the lands that make up the contemporary state of Colorado. Most of all, thank you very much for listening.